it was hard to stay focused. I was giving a Bible study, and uh, as I opened the Word, two cute animals came into the room. Um, I'd really never seen animals like this this close up, and they were cute, but they were also very powerful. And as one of them began eating the couch, I began to get a little troubled. Um, then his colleague ate a pillow, and I realized this was an unusual Bible study. I had never had lion cubs in the living room while I studied the Bible. It was somewhat hard to concentrate. <laughs> I kept looking at the lion cubs and orienting myself just in case things would go differently. And then the person I was studying with said, I need to use the facilities. I'll be back in a few minutes. Now I was going to be alone in a room with the two lions, cubs. And the man had a bat that he had next to his chair during the Bible study just in case the lions got out of hand. But he, think, he thought that he needed that bat as he went to use the facilities. <laughs> so he left with the bat, and there I was with the lions. In 1 Peter chapter 5, which I invite you to turn to now, we have a picture of a lion. Verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We have another picture in verse 4 of a shepherd, the chief shepherd, and then the under-shepherds of that chief shepherd in verse 1 to 3. And Peter is attempting to tell us that this is the situation we live in. Live in a situation with not lion cubs, but the chief lion. And that lion... The devil in this picture is not pictured as a snake sneaking around. It's a lion roaring. Why does a lion roar? What would Rory do to a flock of sheep? What would 
a lion roaring due to a shepherd. A roaring lion is trying to get the sheep to suffer from a panic attack. Maybe to scatter from one another. Trying to get the shepherd not to do his job. And the picture here is of a lion that's walking around doing that. Do we live in a time of stress and anxiety? Do we live in a time where leaders are even afraid to lead? Do we live in a time where sheep are scattered? And Peter is saying here that we need to, in that kind of time, remember who we are, Remember who the chief shepherd is. Remember what he's doing. And remember what we're supposed to do. The next time I went to that Bible study, I came with a bat. And I actually had a knife. I didn't tell him that, but I had a knife and a bat. I was ready. When I left that day, his wife said, are you going to come back? Because the wife wouldn't even sit in the room with us for the Bible study. She said, I'm not going in there with the lions. The next time I went, I said, you know, exactly why do you have lions in your house? He goes, well, I used to work at the zoo. These are the lion cubs from the zoo. And I kind of didn't believe it. I kind of looked. He goes, look, I'm going to take you to the zoo. And so we went to the zoo. And we went to the zoo there in Wichita. Soon as he drove up, the lions came and ran over. They knew who he was. I wasn't going to give up on the Bible study because of the lions. But I had to prepare myself to know how to resist my fears. The good news is, folks, that though the devil is pictured as a lion, he is a defanged, conquered lion. But sometimes... We don't feel that way. We lose our nerve. We don't lead like we should lead. We don't follow like we should follow. And we're scattered. And we're in danger of being devoured. Let me tell you just one other story about a Bible study I can't resist because I'm thinking of another story. Now, let me just say this. When you're involved in the work that you're supposed to be doing, these kind of things are going to happen. If you don't have stories like I'm telling you today, it may be because you're not leading like you should lead or you're not following like you should follow. Because a life of ministry and a life of Leadership, and all of us are called to be leaders and followers, 
is a life that is exciting. Amen. I went to another Bible study, and I had studied with this people before, and they had a huge snake in an aquarium in the front room. We sat down, and usually when I was studying, we'd see the snake. They'd come in and feed the snake a rat. This was part of our Bible study, and it was a wonderful time, sort of. I was very happy that the snake was in the aquarium. And, you know, after they fed it, the snake was occupied and we went about our study. But I remember I went, after studying there a few weeks, I went to the Bible study one time and the next time. And I sat down and I noticed the snake was not in the aquarium. And so I said, where is the snake? I kind of miss him. They said, we don't know. I said, what do you mean? You don't know. Um, he got out. But we don't know where he is. I calmed myself. And we studied that day. And I left. And I came back the next week. And the snake was in the aquarium again. It was right there. I was like, oh, the snake is back. You found your snake. Oh, yes. Where was the snake? You know that couch you've been sitting on? He was right under you. in ministry is exciting, sometimes dangerous. And in Peter's picture here, he is giving strategies to resist the devil and maintain your leadership and maintain your sense of following the master. So let's look at some of the things that he suggests in our passage today. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Strategy number one, it's saying what? Likewise. It's a very interesting word because what was just being spoken of and what we talked about last week in our message was the role and leadership of shepherds, of elders, the white blood cells of the body of Christ. Remember that? And it's saying, likewise, just like their shepherds, you also should serve in a shepherding role. And he's saying, young people... The way you're going to be able to be protected against the devil, the roaring lion, is by submitting yourself to your elders. Now that word younger people 
doesn't necessarily mean chronologically younger people. This is not like, um, you know, just because, you know, you're college age or whatnot. This is neophytes in the faith. Young in the faith is the context. And it's saying the best thing to do if you're going to be protected from the devil is to listen to those who are older in the faith. They maybe have been through things that you have not been through. Maybe they've gone to a few Bible studies with lions. Maybe they know about snakes. Maybe they've seen some of the, the tactics and tricks of the enemy. And so it's for your safety to listen to them. How I many think that's a good strategy? Now, I can tell many stories about that, as you well might imagine. <laughs> so that's number one. Submission to godly elders and submission also to godly members. Sometimes the people that are giving you leadership are people that you would consider, what would you say? Not leaders. I learned this when I worked as a nurse. There's a saying in sales that says the customer is always right, which is not completely true, but it's a way of making sales. But there's also maybe a saying that should be say, the patient is oftentimes right. I remember the first day I was working as a nurse after graduating from nursing school, and I had my first job, landed my job, and I went into the very first room. There were two people in the room, and both of their names, they had the same last name, Mr. Robinson and Mr. Robinson. Someone had really messed up in putting two people with the same name, last names in the room. And... I was passing out the medications on the very first day as a nurse. Another great call by our fearless nursing leader that day to put a new person in charge of handing out the medications. So I went to Mr. Robinson and I said, Mr. Robinson, well, I have a pill for you that's going to help you breathe better. And he says, well, I'm breathing fine. I said, well, you could probably even breathe better. <laughs> he says, well, I think I'm breathing well enough. But you can check. Just listen to my lungs. I said, I, I don't need to do that. There's the pill. And why don't we just take the medication? I have 30 more people to give medications to. So he said, okay. I'll take it. He takes the pill. I go back out to my cart. And uh, look for the medication for the next one. And I go to the next room. And this guy is really having a hard time breathing. <laughs> He's going, you know, I just not. I'm <gasps> and then it struck me. I had given the wrong medication to the wrong person. And if I had only listened to the patient, I would not have made the mistake. And so what Peter is saying is don't always, only just listen to the leaders 
Sometimes listen to the followers, the very people that you're supposedly a peer with. Maybe listen to your fellow students or your fellow young people in the faith. Sometimes they'll see things you don't see. These are strategies for not succumbing to the devil. How many think they're pretty good strategies? What's our next strategy? Be clothed submitting to one another and submitting to your elders means to be clothed with humility. It takes humility to listen to someone else. How many of you understand it? it, it it's kind of humbling to listen to someone else. You ever had that problem? I remember we were working at one of the clinical programs here and there was a person that was attending the program. He was a pastor of a large church. Yeah, you, you know, he had 10 or 15,000 members. And I'm out on the trail with him and he goes, do you know how humbling it is to be in this place? I said, what do you mean? He goes, they tell me when to get up. They tell me when to go to sleep. They collect my urine. They tell me what to eat, how much to eat, when to eat it. Don't you know who I am? I said, uh, well, you're, you're that was I, That wasn't his name, but I'm just using the name. He goes, no, I am Paul. And he gave the last name. Don't you recognize that name? I said, I said, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't. You don't. That's the problem. You don't know who I am. And I said, well, who are you? He goes, well, let's go to the internet. On the internet, he shows me this huge church and everything else. And he goes, and he don't even know who I am. I think I'm going to leave. And his wife looks at him and goes, no, 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 no. You need to stay here. <laughs> well, he did. And you know, he got so much better that he actually asked Dr. Nedley and myself and others to come to his megachurch and tell his megachurch what we had told him. <laughs> but he struggled in listening. And many times we do too. How many of you have ever struggled in listening to other people that you really should listen to? And this is what Peter is saying. You're not, you need to, to, to be humble. You need to be clothed with humility. Now the opposite, it says in verse 5, is what? Pride. And what does it indicate in the verse that pride is related to? God resists the what? So in other words, pride is pitting yourself against who? God. It's pitting yourself against God. Now, sometimes you don't see it that way. You say, no, 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 this, this is just my deed. 
at the college. This is just, this is just my peer. No, this is just the pastor. No, this is just... But that, that person doesn't... It's not really that person. It's actually representing God's voice to you. How many of you have ever pitted yourself against what you thought was a person but actually was God? Nobody besides me? Has this ever happened to you? Remember the story of the prodigal son? Begin to pit himself against who? His father. Give me my inheritance. I know what I'm doing. You know, it's trying to be a lion when you're a sheep. <laughs> I read some really interesting stories about lions this week when I was thinking about the sermon. And there were these books. I read one book that had a story about how you should not be a sheep, you should be a lion. It's a children's book. We have enough sheep in the world, the story went. We need more lions. Lions don't follow anybody. Wherever lions go, that's the path. Sheep follow a path. And I was like, oh my, what a children's story this is. <laughs> but some of us try and act like lions when we're really sheep. That's what the prodigal did. He lived high and heavy for quite some time. And then what happened? He began to recognize, I don't have superpowers. You know, it was a lot better in my master's and my father's house than here. I'm going to move from having a give me attitude to a make me attitude. I'm going to stop saying, give me this and give me that. I'm going to say, just make me one of your servants. And this is another strategy. Don't fall into the trap of trying to be what you're not. I remember the years when I proclaimed to be an atheist. Those were very rough years. Because it's hard being God. It's a lot harder than it looks. You got to figure everything out. You got to be the smartest person, supposedly. And you always got to keep going. You can never relax. Because God resists the proud. He doesn't make it easy for you to go away from him. He makes it difficult. How many are thankful that God resists the proud? And how many are thankful that he's resisted you? He resists the proud, but he gives grace. <laughs> what do you mean? I thought I already had grace. I thought I'm already saved by grace. I thought, no, 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 no. <laughs> I think it's very interesting in this passage. Look at this. 
He gives grace, verse 5 it says, but look down at verse 10. But may the God of all grace, it talks about there, then look down, then look down at uh, verse 12. This is the true grace of God in which you stand. So there's three times grace is missing. He gives grace, all grace, the God of all grace, and then there's true grace. I think there's false grace out there today. How many think there's false grace that people talk about? You know, true grace resists the devil. That's what it's saying here, yes or no? Mm. Okay. So we're looking at strategies, several strategies. Submission to godly elders, being humble, being clothed with humility, addressing our pride. I like that text where it says, well, right there, we're looking at a text in verse 6. He resists the proud, verse 5 says, and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. As I thought about that text, what strategy is there? What mindset do we need to have? You know, we need a picture of God that has two parts. Many pagan gods are pictured as mighty. They have a mighty hand. They're powerful. They're, they're, they're pictured as and in charge. But those pagan gods don't have that other side that he cares for you. The pagan god is always out to get you. But the god of the Bible is out to keep you. And you have this blending of might and care. And what Peter is saying is, remember that. He's mighty, but he also cares for you. One other thing about that mighty hand of God. What's that mean? Mighty hand of God. When you think about the mighty hand of God, what does the hand of God do? What's the mighty hand of God do? Creates. What? Saves. What? protects the mighty hand of God. As I thought about this, I thought, what does God's hand do? Well, <laughs> it writes. Right? And the right hand of God leads but it also leads towards his temple. And in his temple, it leads right to the most holy place. In that most holy place, it has something it wrote. And that's the law of God. And when we humble ourselves to the law of God, we find perfect satisfaction, 10th commandment. We find truth, not lies, 9th commandment. We find 
ability to be possessing ourselves as he would want us to be possessed, we find ultimate intimacy and we get over anger and resentment. We're under the mighty hand of God. And we remember that that mighty hand, first four commandments, has delivered us, commandment number one, has shown us mercy, commandment number three, I mean two. And, and though it, that we don't want to live now in vain. So we say, I want to live under his handwriting, his rules, not my rules. And then we're filled with gratitude and we have a sense of purpose. And what Peter is saying is saying, look, remember his mighty hand. Live under his mighty hand. He led people before he can lead you. Hallelujah. He cares for you. He doesn't just lead because he likes to lead. He leads because he loves you. When they left Egypt, they were under the mighty hand of Pharaoh. Was that a good time for God's people? When I was in Egypt the last time, I was there. Only time I was there. We looked at all of these um, monuments, I guess they are. And you know how they pictured Pharaoh? With his right hand raised up like this. All these monuments, his right hand. And everybody's cowering underneath him. But they're all in slavery. They're all in bondage. They're all having to make bricks with no straw. They have no rest day. They have inadequate clothing and food and they're being persecuted and they're being killed. That's the mighty hand of Pharaoh. God reaches in what he say? I'm going to get you out of there with my right, mighty right hand. The right hand of God. And it comes to full fruition or a full-body expression of that in Exodus 15. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse has to the sea. And there's this song. And then it has, he led them with his right hand. He led them with his right hand. It says it six times. And then it takes them to the sanctuary. And when we submit to God and his mighty right hand, he then shows us, his loving care. When people come here to the New Start program or they come to a, a depressed recovery or when they even go to the clinic, what are they coming? They're coming because they say, wait, there might be somebody there that I can submit to their ideas and they'll help me get better. Isn't that what they do? When they come to a school here, you don't come here to teach the teachers. You come to be taught. Now, sometimes you do teach the teachers. I can attest to that. But you're coming, and you're coming because you think they actually not only have knowledge, but they actually care. And that's what Peter is saying. That's what God is like. And when you submit yourself to him, he's going to use his might because he cares. I don't know. This is a powerful verse. 
Are these powerful verses? Strategies to resist the devil. And then notice the end of verse 6. I mean, it's so rich. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. We've talked about that. That he may do what? Exalt you in what? There is something so beautiful about knowing that God has a timeline. How many of you are thankful that God has a timeline? There are many where everything's circular. But the God of the Bible is not circular. He's got a linear progression. And, and that, that, that linear timeline, he's actually accomplishing things. I can see what he did. I can see what he did. And the devil sees it too. And that's why it says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12, the devil goes about as a roaring lion because he knows that his time is, and that word right there, karyos, the appointed time. The devil knows it's short, and that's why he's roaring. But when he's roaring, that should make us excited because we know that we're not this part of the timeline or this part or this part. We're right down near the end. For the timeline. Hallelujah. And Peter says, when you understand that, you're able to resist the devil. You know, he just has a limited time. Well, there's many more things I could say here, but let me just, maybe, I'll just watch the clock and I'll, I'll stop when we, when we need to stop here. Here's another strategy. Some translations, they have it wrong. Right after due time, they have a period. But it's not really a period. I don't know if they call it a subordinate clause or whatever. I, I know there's a grammarian here. I, I, I'm not a grammarian. <laughs> I'm more like the apostles, agramatos and idios. But verse 7, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, then in the same breath, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. What strategy is this? In other words, another strategy here is all the different things that we said, but you've got to have this constant casting. The word casting there means to throw down rapidly. That means to get rid of, to offload rapidly. It's an action you make. It's not an action someone else makes for you. You make that action and you say, okay, got to get rid of that. I don't know if you've ever watched football. But if a quarterback goes back and hangs onto the ball too long, what's he looking for? Trouble. It behooves him to get rid of that ball rapidly. If a soldier has a grenade and he holds on to it, not good. 
And there are some things we need to just get rid of quickly. The Bible says anger is one of those. Don't hold on to anger. Because it'll do you in. But here's the picture. The picture of resisting the devil and being successful in this humble life is constantly casting things down and relying fully on God. That word casting is used only one other place in the New Testament. That word casting is only one other place in the New Testament like that. It's in the story of Jesus on the triumphal entry. And the people come with their coats and they cast them on the donkey. In other words, they totally take off their garment and they totally put it on the donkey. And so what it's saying here is totally get rid of these distractions, these anxieties, and hand them over to God. Don't try and hold on to them anymore. Get rid of them. Now, there's a couple people in my life that I think were really good at this. Um, one lady, her name is Dee. I don't know if she's watching today or not. She was a member in our church in Kansas. And I used to just hear her muttering, Jesus, take that. Take that away, Jesus. We're driving with her. Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, forgive that person. Some driver. Jesus, constantly talking. And that's the idea of casting things down. Casting away. I'm not going to carry it anymore. I can't handle it. It's too much for me. I'm giving it to God. That doesn't mean it's not going to be taken care of. Like I tell people in the uh, counseling, when I'm counseling them, we sometimes have this idea that if we cast something down, the person that injured us is not going to be harmed because somehow we're not thinking about it, so they're going to not have as much... They're not going to have retribution. Well, by the way, retribution is not yours anyway. It's God's. And like I show them, if we cast it to God, there's a whole system to deal with it. That's the sanctuary system. When they would go to that entrance, they would cast all their things on the lamb. But that wasn't the end of it. The lamb died. And then the blood was taken into the holy place. And then the blood was taken into the most holy place. And there was a whole system that took it very seriously and brought judgment and justice. But the point is, you can't handle it. That's why you need to cast it down. You've got to get rid of it. How many of you have ever met people, or you yourself, held on to stuff too long, and it's driving you down? Maybe you're isolating. Maybe you're saying, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to see that person or this or that. And what happens when the sheep starts to isolate? He's vulnerable to who? The lion. Casting how much of your care? 
all of your care upon him. For he cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Those are interesting words. In other words, if you got a line around, is it, is it, would, it be, <laughs> would it be wise to be drunk? Be vigilant literally means to watch, to be awake, and then resist the devil, which means to stand against. As I was studying about how to resist lions, what you don't want to do is turn around and run. What you don't want to be is asleep when a lion comes, because you want to be awake. Does that make sense? Very practical information here. Well, let's close up here. Verse 9. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So resistance of the devil and his roaring is tied to what? A knowledge of suffering. We need to have the knowledge of suffering. This text does not say your cares will be taken away. It says that you will still have anxiety and stress and suffering, but you can cast them upon him, and you need to ongoingly do that. He's not going to protect you from suffering, but he'll be with you in the suffering. Peter started in chapter 5, verse 1. He was a partaker of the sufferings of Christ. And then it says here, the brotherhood of the world. There's a brotherhood all around the world that have been suffering. And so you're going to be called to suffering. But then notice what it says. That that suffering is going to be a limited suffering. You don't live that long, even if you suffered your whole life. It's nothing compared to eternity. Nothing. I've been reading up for this. We're going to the England and Scotland, and as I've been reading how people were persecuted for their faith, they truly believed what Peter was saying. They believed that what they were doing was more valuable than just their life here. William Tyndall, without him, we'd probably even be reading this Bible. He believed that what he was doing was more important than his very life. Recant. I won't recant. I know what I'm doing is important. How many want to have that spirit? And by the way, just, just to remind you, the whole point of this, of Peter, to have this idea of resisting the devil is not just to save yourself. Chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Talk about a sense of purpose in life. Suffering that brings people to God. 
Well, why are you going through that? Why are you letting them do that to you? Because I'm trying to bring people to God. Who doesn't just have life, he has eternal life. The purpose of all these sufferings, as we're looking at our final verse here, in chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory, not just glory, eternal glory, Eternity, eternal life, eternal glory, eternal joy. (laughs) After you have suffered a while, and the idea is there's very short, may he perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. What's the purpose of suffering? Perfect you. To establish you to strengthen you, to settle you. So that at the end, what can happen? To him be glory and dominion forever and ever and ever. Keep it in perspective. You're going through some suffering now. Keep it in perspective. What a word from Peter today. We live in a world where there's a roaring lion. And he tries to get us to lose our concentration. Lose our concentration as leaders. Lose our concentration as followers. Why? Because he knows. He knows that he's running out of time and he knows that if we don't lose our concentration, there's going to be people eternally saved. This last couple of weeks, as I've been working with many others to raise funds for students, because I believe in what happens here, and I believe in students, and I love students, very odd thing happened. This guy sent me a rather sizable check, and then he says, look, they said your address exist. I said, well, I'm sitting right here at my address. Read it off to me. So he reads it off. Same address. And it says, they say they can't deliver to the address that you say the university is. Well, this happened like three times. And I started to get excited because I realized the devil was attempting to resist those funds coming. Whenever you're doing God's will, when you're exerting 
godly leadership, and all of us have failed there, but we're trying. Or when you're trying to follow, the devil is going to try and roar and make it seem like it's not working. Don't give up. Don't give in. Stand up, face the lion, and move on. Last week we had a baby dedication. Remember that? Or a couple weeks ago. That baby screamed louder than any baby I have ever had in a dedication. Hallelujah for those healthy lungs. Amen? Amen. When I was there, I said, man, it's taking a lot of concentration for me to continue with what I'm supposed to do. And sometimes the noise gets really loud. But don't give up. Don't give in. What you're going through is actually preparing you to be a shepherd, to be a shepherdess. Hallelujah. This is the word from Peter today. We're going to close with the song, When I Can Read My Title Clear. In the sky. I don't remember what number it is. 464. Let's stand together. And the reason I like this song is because of what it says. We can smile at Satan's rage in the face of frowning world. How many want to smile at Satan's rage in the face of frowning world? Let's sing together as we close. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.